Hey, what's up, guys? Lucas Burnley here. You are listening to the Edge and Flow podcast. I'm here with my co-host, TJ Schwartz, and it is SHOT Show week. Sure is. Guess it's where neither of us are. <laughs> we are not there. Mm-hmm. How's that feel? This year, for whatever reason, like I've missed it for a couple of years, kind of since like COVID era. Yeah. And I didn't miss it that much the first two years. And all of a sudden, for whatever reason, this year I got the itch. I was like, man, I wish I was there. So maybe next year. Okay, let's just let's just plan on it. I actually last second was ready to go, um, got a badge, and right there's so many variables right now. Like I just realized this is actually a terrible idea. Mm. Um, but it was because I literally had the thought like a week before the show. Yeah. So fully planning on 2025 to go to Shot Show. Part of it too is it's it's in the work week it's because it's a b2b show it's like monday through wednesday or whatever tuesday through friday i think yeah exactly so it kills a actual work week it's not just like a friday saturday like a blade show yeah and it's interesting like if you're going as a designer or you're going to like do business like friday is kind of out because Mm -hmm. any brass right like any high ups in the company for the most part they leave. <laughs> yeah. Not, not like everybody, obviously, but it happens broad stroke enough at the show that you mm-hmm. definitely want to be there. Like the Wednesday. Yeah. You want to be there Wednesday. Yeah. You know, yeah. if Tuesday, Tuesday is like hit or miss. Cause it's so busy when the show starts, I think you can get away with like not going Tuesday, mm-hmm. but still probably Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, yeah. I'm going to back it up for just a second. Uh, this podcast, as you guys know, is about the knife industry, uh, production, design, life. We are kind of just talking about all of the things in our sphere. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, want to thank you guys that are supporting us on Patreon. Let's roll, man. Thank Let's you very go. much. Yeah, yeah. Well, you you reactivated my chat show itch, so you're right. We need I to know. Do the, we need to do <laughs> next year. Last time I went, I took my wife, and that was when we were dating and no Ooh. kids so and you're we married now have, we now have a four-year-old as, as, yeah. the, as of this week so that tells you it's been a while yeah. <laughs> yeah i think the yeah the last one i was at was 2020 oh man super that was that's like an intense that was an intense show yeah okay next year 2025 we'll figure out how to make it worthwhile let's make it fun yeah let's go for the week do some fun vegas stuff yeah yeah Maybe do some podcast stuff. Yep. It's like a good. Oh, that would be. Yeah. Do you... I just had this like, vision of us like walking around with booms. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like headphones. It would be so weird. Yeah. Trying not to run into all the other booms yeah. walking around. I know. <laughs> yeah. That's like a side of the table that I've actually never been on. Yeah. No kidding. Right? Okay. Maybe we don't do that. Maybe just go eat. Yeah. There's a lot of cool stuff in that room. That's going to be a distraction though. So we got to stop ourselves. That that's what. That was the draw for me this year. I realized that like over the last couple of years, not going to as many trade shows, small industry or like mass, right? Like shot Mm -hmm. is like the, the big show, right? So far past our industry. But what I love about that is that you can see, you can see trends, you can see colorways, you can Mm -hmm. see design elements that are at the hitting level. at the highest level, right? The biggest brands, but also just like where things are starting to like permeate, 
right? Yeah. So things in the knife industry, like you might be seeing a trend, but like, is that trend carrying through across like apparel or, mm-hmm. or firearms? And I think that's in that setting, it's much easier to actually see it than what you see on a day-to-day basis, like even looking online or kind of what's popping up on Instagram. Yeah. yeah. And obviously everyone comes to SHOT Show with what they believe is the cutting edge. So mm-hmm. it, you, you're not seeing like the last three years of materials when you're so, on like social media, you're seeing like each company's entry into like what we think the future is. Yeah. Ideally and, what you are seeing for next year. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so it's, yeah, it kind of gives you a little bit of an inside look, even like Spiderco specifically, like you go by their booth, they have a glass case. That's like no photos. These are right. knives that we have not shown off and will not that are like making a loop. And we're trying to decide if we're even going to make them or not, you know? Right. And so it's like, there's stuff like that. Do they still, do you know for sure that they still do that as a, as a kind of a new product test phase? Uh, I mean, the last I heard, it has been a while since I've crossed paths with them, but yeah, they, I mean, last time I was at their booth at shot show. Yeah. They, they would make a prototype and they would travel it to shows for like what a year. Yeah. And then if it was liked enough and if it was noticed enough, enough, then they're like, okay, that one's going. And so you'll see like sort of their like uh, development league of products at the show. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. As a designer, it's basically my least favorite method. Yeah. Humanly imaginable. You don't like it's too slow. It's too slow. Yeah. And you know what? For me personally, I want buy-in from the company. Mm-hmm. I want them to be excited about the thing that I am submitting. Mm-hmm that doesn't feel like it achieves that mm-hmm. it's like it's like oh i'm i'm agnostic i'm neutral on whatever you submit yeah, i have like no trust but verify thing. yeah it's yeah. like no no i want you to trust your gut and yeah. like because i think in a in a weird way it's like a two-way street like i want to know that a company that i'm working with is able to make like strong decisions mm. based on their own opinions Versus just watching what like somebody at a trade show's responses. Yeah. 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 Right. It's like, yeah. As opposed to, cause it's like a, a focus group method is kind of what yeah. they're doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I don't know. I mean, you see, you see shows like, I just feel, I feel like the thing that gets the most attention isn't always the thing that sells best. Yeah. Yeah. That's Wouldn't true. you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, dude, products are weird. When you when you get a product in front of like a mass market, like let's yeah. say it pops up in Sportsman's Warehouse, especially a place like that where they do sell a lot of different knives. Um, yeah, it's weird. It's like sometimes the subdued thing, it's like there's so many people that are just walking and they're like, I just want a knife. Like, I don't want yeah. anything fancy. Yeah. And then they're like, Well, that's neat. Uh yeah, I'll take the black one. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then the black You know, you know one that that really bucked that? inside of crkt specifically is the fossil yeah you're right and i've used that knife as a reference like so many times because basically in the industry everybody says like nothing outsells black mm-hmm. well that i mean i guess it, right like on on a whole that's probably true but the fossil has been like a bestseller in the crkt lineup for i don't even know how many years it's got it's more eight than five nine. years eight yeah. or nine yeah eight or nine yeah. years right mm-hmm and it's a wild design. Like it looks like a it's fossil. Got texture. It's got like, you know, multiple color G10. Like it is not necessarily a knife. If you're like, oh, this goes into Walmart. 
do you think it's going to be a bestseller? And it 100% was. And so it's like, well, if you prove that, like, if you know that this works, it works. Mm -hmm. It's just figuring out like what the special sauce is that creates that. I think, I don't know that. That's that's the question. It's the question, right? Yeah. 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 Interesting. Now I'm going to get all introspective and start thinking about design. Oh, okay. So Uh, speaking of design, I was just going (laughs) to ask you, because you're the one doing the design work all, all month. So how's that going? Um, it is, it's deep. It's a deep hole. Um, what I'm, what I'm finding right now is my process, my process to iterate has become so much faster that it's creating a lot more ideas. Mm-hmm. And so I was just showing you my little Ulfa Karambit. That's a perfect example of something that was like, it's been rolling around in my head. I start to play with it. I go to fusion. I start 3d printing and that's the sticky point where I'm like, Ooh, okay. Like I have a physical product. I see the changes. I start making the changes. I'm just about done with that. And that has been my goal right now is to finish projects. So I have the Kihon fixed blade and mm-hmm. I have the Ulfa Karambit. Um, for those of you guys that haven't seen it, Ulfa makes uh, like craft blade knives and um, box cutters and stuff like that. This blade specifically has always been a favorite and it's kind of like this angular, modern, like Kiridashi looking blade. And I've always just wanted to build a, like a modular frame for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's tricky. So what I'm realizing around this is that because the process is faster, but I'm able to take it a lot further. It used to be like when I was doing CAD, a lot of the final decisions were still kind of like hand or, or like I would create them after the fact. Whereas with the way that I'm designing now, I'm really seeing that the details I'm tweaking inside Mm -hmm. it's inside the computer. Yeah. Right. You're designing Um, in CAD, not just engineering, not just engineering. Um, and that it's a, it's a little, uh, I was going to say like disconcerting or unsettling. And it's, I don't think that's probably accurate, but it, it really is different. And I'm, I'm noticing that I want to create stopping points and then also be sure to create points where I'm final, like stopping points inside the process of design. Right. Like, so with the Ulfa, I basically make, one round of logical changes and then 3d print. Mm -hmm. I test that, see where I want to be, make one round of changes and then print, but I don't, I'm not trying to take it to full completion. However, I do need to have an end point on this. And where I've decided that is, is ergonomic completion and profile completion is where I will stop consider the project complete. And then it will enter manufacturing phase where I can look at construction like method versus like, cause there's so many, like we were talking about, like right now it's a two piece frame mm-hmm. in my head. I'm like, Oh, I, maybe I want to do like an inlaid scale 
over this frame, but that's not like right now, I don't want to address that in design because it'll, it'll like almost restart the, the motor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? No, it makes sense. I got to say it's different than how I do it, but it does make sense. How do you do it? I, I want the manufacturing and construction constraints to be there from the beginning. So I'm like, I would probably map out the way that it's assembled as the first thing and then follow that with, with the aesthetic and ergonomics, not because, not because the ergonomics are less important, but because I don't want the ergonomics that I'm pursuing to interfere with the constraints that it's eventually going to have. I want the constraints to to make it that that's just the way I do it. But I mean, that may, I think it makes sense. And we'll see, like, as I go to make this, like, Maybe I'm going to run into problems. You have like a much longer track record and a much higher ability. So I'm I'm like maybe doing this in a way that's completely backwards. I don't know. Well, what, one benefit of that is that you can, the visual aspect in your, in like in your mind of how mm-hmm. that thing would be constructed is actually quite simple. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like a folding flipper where no, you have like in the detent case, ball, the track. Totally. Yeah. So it's, it wouldn't, you're not going to lose that much progress if you're like, wait a minute. This is a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, it's kind of like a 2d thing anyway. Well, and you're, we're also entering this with like, even if it was a folder, I feel like there's certain, like the analogy here would be, I design a frame lock. All the mechanisms are in place. All the geometry is there, but then I want a liner lock Mm -hmm. or an inlaid lock bar. I feel like at that point I can make those changes to a version and it might even be that, like, okay, here's the knife. Now I want an inlaid lock bar. I want a crossbar lock. I want, you know, a nested liner lock. Where, which one of those is the best starting point? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like yeah. frame lock's probably the easiest. Okay. Now I want to do overlaid scales, but I feel like once it's there and functioning, then I can tweak it more than being like just chasing it down and doing like, okay crazy inlaid lock bar and then backing it out to make it i don't know mm-hmm. that's where i'm at like yeah. i said deep hole yeah yeah that 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 loop of like okay i'm gonna think about aesthetic and ergonomics and i'm gonna yeah. click over into engineering and yeah. manufacture mode the balance like the i don't know titration if you want to call it that between those two mindsets mm-hmm. is like to me, that's like really inherent in good design. And however yeah. you accomplish that is one thing, but like you can see designs where one or the other was betrayed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or and, prioritized, right? Or prioritized. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I want it to be balanced. Yeah. But, Agreed. Well, know. and that, especially I think doing things in house, not, not to say like it keeps you honest, but I, I look at certain designs and I'm like, I actually don't know how to do that. Like I could draw it, but I'm going to break down when it comes to actually manufacturing it. Mm-hmm. And not to say that that process, like a great example would be like almost like Elijah Isham, right? Mm-hmm. Rest in peace. Um, where the designs were wild. The manufacturing like skill that was required to actually make those also wild also wild Mm -hmm. i could get closer to drawing something like that than probably making it at this point whereas if you're doing it kind of organically i think you 
you progress through the techniques, both of the design and the design language, but then also in the manufacturing uh, side. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and okay. So like to tie this in the Kihon fixed blade is now actually at the manufacturing stage and you helped me get like stage one of fixturing done. Mm-hmm. Right. So basically have like, I think I sent you a picture of where I was at. Right. So like yeah. mm-hmm. blades are aligned processes, like stages are, are in place. That, that is wild. That's actually somewhere that I've never been. Cause I've never fixtured like this. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It's yeah. like, it almost starts over, but it's great. Cause now I'm not messing with the design itself. Yeah. I'm saying you're done. Yeah, at some the next. Yeah, that that's the endless battle of the creative. Is like you have to stop somewhere, oh. and it's like it ask like you know the Mona Lisa or any of these paintings. Yeah. It's like if you look into the history of those, they were painted over like years. Yeah, you know what I mean. I think the Mona Lisa. What did he spend? Like, it was like a decade or something crazy yeah. on it because it's just like I don't quite like that. I'm gonna do it again. I don't quite yeah. like that. The revisionist kind of it's never perfect mindset is if you're going to manufacture something has to stop. Like right. then the manufacturing becomes the art and you're always going to improve that. But it's like, unless you're a true custom maker, you don't have the real option to like redesign the product every right Every time. time. Right. Well, you know, this funny, I've, I've been thinking about this recently. The, like we talk about custom versus production a lot. And I think that when like early days making things fully by hand, when I look at the amount of revisions I would make to any given model, it was almost endless. Like mm-hmm. basically every batch of a knife I made was slightly different than the batch before. Yeah. I think that in a certain way, that type of making and creativity gives you more flexibility, right? Like you're just like, oh, I'm going to tweak this line on this pattern because I can make a pattern really fast. Mm-hmm. If you're having to rebuild all your fixtures, that gets a lot less attractive. Yeah. But looking at the process around CNC, I think like the way that that is almost, if you were like, I'm going to use CNC, but I'm going to be a true custom maker. It's almost just like limiting your numbers before moving on to a new project, mm-hmm. because then you're not tied into like, Oh, this is my production fixture, and I have to make this knife the same way every time. Right. And um one thing you have to answer too is like what is the goal? Because yeah. with ours, ours are modular. And if you right. bought a if you buy like a sheath from us right now, right, you, you could put your overland in it that you bought in 2022 or right. in 2021, and it would yeah. fit. And it would fit. And it, and so it's like the the it creates a system of modularity, and that's that means interchangeable parts is critical. Yeah. It means they all have to be the same. Yeah. If you weren't going to do that, if you were okay with like, this is the sheath and this is the knife. Yeah. If you don't like the sheath, sorry, send right. the knife back. We'll make a sheath for it or something. Right. You know what I mean? Which is how yeah. a lot of companies operate, which is cool. And then you can just kind of like migrate through design changes like at will. Right. Um, but it's, yeah, it just depends on what, what's, as what's the soon goal. as it's standardized. Well, and I think that's where, where I've been looking at lately is like this idea of just letting efficient things be efficient. Like, mm. Oh, when I look at it, like I have not made a design change to the quike and flipper in years and years. It's mm. actually, but I did, there's three or four variations. And then I ended on one mm-hmm. 
folder is slightly different because they're still high-end, they're still hand-fit. So they're not truly interchangeable parts. Like I would bet that you could probably grab most Quikens and swap some parts and be fine mm -hmm. at this point, right? Like once they are CNC'd, even if there are minor tweaks, you grab mm -hmm. a backspacer, you probably even swap a blade on some of them. Mm -hmm. But because there's still a high level of hand fitting, it it's more custom. Yeah. I think that looking at work in the future and like growth, I think that I'm trying to eliminate that like hand fit component because I don't see it adding value past a certain point. Um, kind of a kind of a tangent, but related to this. So I'm making I'm making polys right now, right? My little pry bar. There is though they're they're fixtured and they're on a pallet and basically it's like a little like a three by four sheet of titanium first op goes in drills some holes and cuts all of the the top side details like the mm -hmm. pry bar you know uh angle the logo the chamfers it then gets flipped on to two locating tabs and the backs get finished mm -hmm. but it's held into the coupon by uh by little tabs mm -hmm. okay i cut the tabs out this this is like one of those moments where i realize like how how much there is that i don't know or don't see so we've made these for probably four years mm -hmm. the the next op was always to go to the two by 72 grinder and a flat platen and basically grind off those tabs mm -hmm. it's pretty easy it's pretty fast it still requires skill and it still requires cleanup. I don't know what happened yesterday. I was working on them. I started to grind them and I like this light bulb moment. And I was like, huh, if I cut, if I go upstairs to the laser and cut a form, a little, like a, like a, basically like a shuttle that this drops in and the flat edge is horizontal. I can put it on my manual mill and just mill these tabs off. Mm-hmm. Five minutes. I made the drawing, cut the shuttle, started cutting parts, instantly realized that this inside of this one product was a paradigm shift. I had Maddie come down and had Maddie cut one. Mm -hmm. Not being familiar with milling processes or the part. And I just realized I'm like, this is the difference in like manufacturing mindset versus craftsman like i have skill in my hand and yeah. eye that's a, that's that's accurate can i push back though on one totally thing? i never use tabs like that on i any know part ever <laughs> i know it always comes out of the mill finish and so here's here's stage two as i'm looking at this i realized that i created an efficiency around this part this part that was designed probably four to five years ago mm -hmm. with what I knew then. Okay. I looked at it and I thought, I don't know that I would make this part the same way. Mm -hmm. I will run it by you because I'm very curious to see how you would run this part. So do you remember my scalpel plus? Yeah. Exactly the same setup would make those parts without any tabs because they don't have through holes. There's just a, 
a lanyard hole that's kind of weird that you have to chamfer. Um, yeah, basically, if you had a water jet, okay, you put them in a vice jaw, soft jaw that's yeah. shaped like that, whatever teardrop mm-hmm. shape. You do op one, mm-hmm. then you have either the second side of the same vice jaw, or you have them like ganged up to do a bunch of op ones and then a bunch of op twos, right? And then you just flip it and have the secondary. You basically top hat it, yeah, so that the chamfer on the back side. Yeah. How big is the chamfer? Do you remember? Probably thirty thou or something. So you have the gripping of yeah. the op one be like twenty five thou, right? So that when you flip it, the top hat is going to be milled away and then chamfered, right. and so there's no seam, and just op one, op two, op one, op two. So that's basically how we do side pops. Mm-hmm. I go back. It's really weird, man. I go back and forth. Like these are cut out of the material thickness, basically that the final part is there's like Mm -hmm. a little surface finishing. I've always had some weird like resistance to using like much thicker material and then milling it away. And I know that it's not. No, it's the same thickness. It's, it's, it's the same thickness. Yeah, there's no no material removal and thickness. Okay, you'll have to go over it with me because I don't understand that. Like I understand, like okay, to make a quarter inch side pop, starting out with, uh, you know, a three seventy five mm-hmm. block, yeah, and then mill your mill. You're like holding on to an eighth of an inch and then milling that eighth of an inch top hat off. Right. So right? the 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 benefit if you have chamfers. That's the critical thing because yeah. you have chamfers on those parts. Yeah. You make sure that the top hat is coincident with the actual surface. So again, yeah. like you're using, like if it's a quarter inch side pop, you're using a quarter inch material. Mm-hmm. And let's say you have like a 50 thou chamfer on a side mm-hmm. pop or whatever it is. You have a 45 thou top hat, right? Mm-hmm. So in op one, the jaw is only holding onto 45 thou and mm-hmm. it's milling that perimeter, like all the way down to the jaw. And right. you might even like skim the jaw a little bit. Yeah, no yeah, deal. yeah. You flip it. You now have a 45 thou top hat. You just quickly mill that off in one pass. But it has mill. to basically be your chamfer. Otherwise, you get like a parting line. Yeah, otherwise you'll get a parting line. But it, the chamfer will cover up what that that end mill, you have it go around. Yeah, yeah, and I'll yeah. Have it, I'll have the end mill leave like three or four thou so that I'm not adding like a parting line on accident. And then, and then the chamfer comes in and that last five thou of that top hat gets uh-huh. chamfered away. And so it's, it's yeah, like the scalpels, I would have them surface ground to 125 thou. So they're eighth okay. of an inch thick. And they had like 30 thou chamfers. So the actual flat in between was only like 60 thou. Yeah. And it, and yeah, you could do it that way. Okay. There's so, it's endless. Like mm-hmm. machining practice or like strategies endless yes yeah that's where having like a true machinist is like helpful if you're at the point where you're like all right here's this part and they're like oh yeah no 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 like here's a much better way to make it Mm. than what you're seeing so i don't know i was psyched to to see i to see this and to be able to make the change and then, like I said, it made me realize, though, that like overall, the part is probably still made in a very inefficient way. It's a pr- improvement, though. But it's an improvement. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's a, it's uh, right now, like we, I mean, we talk about all the time, right? Like we go back and forth on having an employee again. 
Mm-hmm. I think I think we're slowly working back towards having an employee, but I I cannot do it while the majority of the process is skill-based. Like not mm-hmm. skill-based, like don't take your finger off in the milling machine, like skill-based, like your hands have to control this operation to give yeah. me a tolerance that is still a machinist tolerance. Yeah, manual, yeah manual yeah. skills yep. it's like it has to be no 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 indicate the part and then just run the next 50 on the milling machine mm-hmm. manual but you have to be able to do that that's so yeah. different like yeah you know it's really really fun that the goal with the Kihon fixed blade is that yeah right so yeah. that'd be great yeah that's what i'm working on design into shop stuff yeah that's awesome Let's talk shop stuff. How's your new shop coming? Yeah, so I got the uh, got the keys and everything on the new shop. Went over there. Uh, I'm framing in my office and the clean room because I need an office before I move in because I, I just want to have it all sheetrocked and ready to just put my my actual, you know, where I'm sitting right now is just going to get moved over there. And then the clean room obviously is necessary because we need a really well lit, everything painted white, uh, clean oil-free dust-free space for shipping the assembly and like the knives like if they get dusty it's actually not the end of the world like what i'm worried about is packaging boxes tape yeah if there's dust floating around like it's very hard to keep oil off of boxes it's hard to keep tape from getting all dingy and it's like it just needs to be clean and so that's what we're working on i framed in all of that i just haven't hung sheetrock so i'm gonna hang sheetrock this weekend uh, I relocated a light switch because the when I framed everything in, the front door to the shop, the exterior front door, main man entrance, the door swings the wrong way, and it's okay. It I added a wall that makes the door swing in a way that's dumb okay. because it makes you walk straight into a wall, oh. and I didn't care <laughs> because the the front door is trash, like it's in real bad shape. So I'm gonna have to buy like a industrial metal metal door that swings the opposite direction um so i'm gonna do that but anyway i had to move the light switch because when you walk in a door where's the light switch it's always on the side that you open and it's was going to be concealed by the door swinging in front of it so i rewired that so it's a bunch of little weird stuff to get that office area all done but it's all functionally done it just needs sheetrock now and then i'm going to go through the power and just kind of massage some things because i have i have concerns about previous tenants and what's been done there's like four generations of like weird electrical decisions Mm -hmm. and i just kind of want to i don't see anything that's like not immediately going to work i just want to get in there with a tester and look at these breakers and wire sizes and see like did they put bigger breakers on wires that shouldn't have them are you competent enough with electrical to do that yeah um i wouldn't like I wouldn't do like a whole bunch of panel work or anything crazy, but like to check, because part of it is like, what of the, which of these outlets did they wire for 220? I need to find right. out because I don't want to plug a bunch of stuff in and not know, oh shoot, that was a 220 outlet. I just right. fried my bench grinder, you know, whatever. So I need to, I need to just check and look inside the panel at what is in there. Yeah. And then if something is jacked, um, like if I'm switching something from 220 to 120 or from two, 240 to 120, whatever you call it, that is pretty easy yeah um stuff like that like i I have zero i have zero experience with electrical and like i should i would like to it's just something that i've i'd always been hesitant so i just Mm -hmm. like get help 
Yeah, I like I said, I had that electrician as a neighbor when I did all the work here. So I, what I did is I put it on myself to do it and then have him check it and have him there when I was doing some stuff I was worried about or like not 100% sure. Um, and I got invested enough in it where like the real basic just like, you know, outlets, lights, switches, pretty, pretty well understood. And like I said, I wouldn't do anything like totally crazy, like install a sub panel or something that is like, you know, huge code things that you got to be sure. paying attention to. But I, I feel pretty confident in being able to like, okay, this switch goes to those lights. There's more conduit coming from that switch. Where is it going? Like, yeah. oh, that's going to an outlet where there used to be an AC unit where I'm not going to put one. Like, uh, right. why is that there? Like, th that yeah. And like stuff. found power is awesome too. You're yeah. like, oh, this isn't being used. Like, okay. Yeah, exactly. Gives you, I wish that I would have had a 400 amp panel put in my mm. shop because I did a two. And I'm like maxed out. Really? Yeah. Are you maxed know. out because of this number of breakers? Yeah. So you're probably you can do split breakers and like. Well, well I was gonna say you're. I guarantee you, you're nowhere near 200 amps. No. Like not even remotely. No. You just need to put a sub panel in. Yeah. And put more breakers in. So yeah. you don't really need 400 amp service. So cool. currently, my whole shop, my entire shop, so it's two mills, air compressor. And then one mill running on a phase converter that's 15 horse, mm -hmm. uh, heat for the Kydex, yeah. um, dust remover, all of that is on one 60 amp sub panel. Yeah. So it's like all of them running at peak load for 18 months now, never trip that 60 amp breaker. And so it's like, I'm probably using, like when the compressor kicks on, it's probably for like a second using like 25 and it's a five right. horse compressor. Yeah. But I mean, I'm using like, I don't know, 40 amps in a whole manufacturing. You're not. Yeah. Place. You're not all tied in. We, yeah. my, my first house, um, was my first like owned shop. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't have anything like crazy, but the, it's basically like a big four car garage off of the house powered off of the hundred amp house service. Mm -hmm. I just plugged things in and worked, added more tools, got to a point where I realized like, I think it was when we got the CNC and I was like, I need more power, have more power. And, but when we looked, when they opened up the breaker, the like cables had just bubbled. Like mm. it was, there was huge overload at uh, hundred amp on a hundred amp. And it That's scared, I know it house. really scared me because I was yeah. like, if it's bubbling, it's burning. Yeah. Like that's a step away from just like igniting. Yeah. Um, so since then I've kind of just really, I want more power than I need and I don't want to make mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. It's not an area. Yeah. yeah. Not an area I want to but, play with. But if, if you did hire an electrician and told him to put in a sub panel, yeah. that's like a, depending on how much sheetrock work needs to be done, like we're yeah. talking a few hours yeah. and you, you could have as many breaker spots as you wanted. Yeah. And I, I really think the 200, like, dude, that supports a lot. a lot of machines yeah. especially know, at this point uh, at this point what i need like at, when we added the forging equipment that was a pretty heavy like we added a small dedicated sub panel for that mm -hmm. you know power hammer and a press yeah and a heat treat oven i think kind of running on that and it's yeah yeah something i need to learn more about i got books yeah. in the library on it like in in my library but right yeah i have adhd <laughs> Yeah, actually, 
this is negligence on my part. I don't even know what the amperage on the panel coming into this other shop is. Yeah. All I know is that it's held multiple machine shops and it yeah. is three phase. And so I'm just kind of like figuring it's going to be good for a while. But have you ever had, have you ever had like a big shop scare? As far like, as like one time I lit my dust collector on fire. Oh, no, I haven't. Like, have you had any no. of those? No, that was, that was probably one of the scariest. I like, I look, and I can't remember if I, no, I heard it. I'm like, the dust collector sounds weird. It's like, it basically turned into a jet engine. Yeah. My, I had a spark arrestor. Spark arrestor went dry, like a, like a spark trap. So what material? Spark in. Man, at that point, I was probably titanium. Mm. And it probably wasn't something that I was like directly grinding in. It was just, it picked something up and there was just like a three foot flame coming out the side of my dust collector. I, That's it scary. was, it was so scary. And I had, I had like a chemical, uh, fire extinguisher used it, got it out, like completely coated my shop in like nasty chalk. Yeah. Super scary. Yeah. That's terrifying. Um, Fire so, is about as scary as it gets. Oh man. Yeah. They're just like, I mean, with tools, like fire is scary, but like it's it it really is scary. Water is like a different thing because like all of our tools are metal. So water damage is like yeah. arguably more disturbing. Yeah. Like somehow, it's just less dangerous. It's not gonna it's kill you. It's not gonna kill you. It's gonna rust all my tools. Yeah. So I don't know which one is scarier. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. No, that's another thing I need to look at because in that shop, there is, like I said, it's like such a big complex. It's older. Mm -hmm. It's been inhabited by people that I feel at certain points maybe didn't care a whole lot about sure. certain things, you know, how it goes. Do you know when the building was built? I actually don't. Yeah. I don't, but it's built in like the 80s or 70s. You sure. know what I mean? It's older. Um, but the there's a PEX line that came down to like a, like a hoss, a faucet sort of mm -hmm. deal, like a, just like a hose type deal. And I saw, I was like, sweet water right at the front door, like by the, by the thing. And I was like, go to turn it a little bit to see if I had pressure. And it was like, oh, it's open. And I look up and it goes to a PEX line that's going across the ceiling. And I'm like, well, if this is open, that means there's obviously no water in that line. And it's one of those things where I'm like, well, there's an open hose faucet. I don't know where that line is going or coming from. So it's like, this is a problem because if someone right. turns something on somewhere flooded shop, because <laughs> yeah. so it's, it's stuff like that, that I just want to, I just want to understand what I'm looking at with yeah. some of this stuff. So like I said, after the sheetrock, it's mainly like, I just want to do my due diligence and like take care of some deferred maintenance type yeah. stuff and make sure it's safe place from yeah. a, you know, electrical and water standpoint. Yeah. Um, and uh, then we're good. Then we're going to move in. Dude, what do you have a move in date? No, no, I haven't called the rigger yet, but it, I mean, in February. February, as soon as, as soon as we're ready, I'll call the rigger and then we're not in a hurry to get in. Sure. Um, but I am hustling to get the ball out of my court, if that makes sense. Because, uh, I was one thing I wanted to talk about today is I've got three main things pressuring me right now. I got the LT5, yeah. the new knife. Yep. I got production just of like existing stuff. And then the shop move. Mm -hmm. And I made a realization earlier this week, or might have been the end of last week, where I was like, I can do two of these things. Can't do three. 
And so I'm like, the LT5 Ooh. is getting ice, like it's going in the fridge. And so that's what I did just mentally. I'm like, because I need to, for that to keep going, like there's some things in my court right now. And I was like, well, I need to do that. I need to do the shop move. I got a sheetrock. I got a Okay. Can't forget about the manufacturing. Got to order steel for these knives. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to pick two. So I picked two and it, and the LT5 is getting ice temporarily. Um, for like a week, couple weeks, couple weeks. Okay. This ties into something that I had actually called you about a few days ago, but when you were looking at that process from like a decision, which this is my favorite way to do it is like to have three things and you can always eliminate one. I feel like, mm-hmm. so the LT five, it's not, it's not time dependent. It's mm-hmm. not critical for revenue. Mm-hmm. So that's an automatic ice. Yeah. Yeah, right? exactly. Cause it's the easy. other ones, it's, it's like obvious. it's business and then you have a deadline. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the one that I called you about last week or yesterday was a blade Texas. Um, I had planned on doing the show like four months ago, but I had set a hard stop for myself that if I wasn't able to start production, like three months ahead that I wouldn't do the show. I hit that three month point, made the decision not to do the show. Okay. Last week, as I'm looking at it, I'm like, well, I'm going to go like, I'm going to go check it out. Right. I already Mm -hmm. have plane tickets. I have a room. I'm like, should I do the show? Mm -hmm. And it like kicked my brain into overgear. And I'm like, Oh, I can make this product and this product and this product. And like, what's a skeleton like loadout look like? And I called you for feedback. You weren't available. And I, I ultimately I came to the decision that it it is a full diversion. Like I could do it, and there's value in it, but it would stop me from getting work done that makes every show for the rest of the year easier. Mm-hmm. it's like it's crazy like i don't even know what my brain why my brain does that it's like it just got hooked into it and it's like got excited about doing a show and so i started to like rationalize it but i realized like i basically had three things which is uh this month we are doing we do mystery boxes which are a really fun side project of like doing inventory Mm-hmm. So we go through all our inventory and then we, we always have like a bunch of weird product and like extras and like mugs and shirts in weird sizes. And we tie that into making mystery boxes. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm like that, that is valuable and getting the new model in production is valuable for me to do that show means that those other two things don't happen. Yeah. And I was like, Okay, that's like it's self, it's a self-answering question. Yeah, exactly. If you are allowing the priorities and the information and like the logic to make the decision. Yeah. Still hard. Yeah, you gotta be careful about being a yes man. Um that's like I said with the LT5, there's no like imminent timeline because I made the conscious decision not to pre-sell, not to do anything that would make me feel like I'm bound to doing something. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, it's just going to get done when it gets done. And I realized, and I already knew that, but in my head, I'm like, I want it to be done as soon as possible. Right. And I'm like, well, that's kind of an artificial thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's so totally artificial. Yeah. Right. It was it was kind of interesting too because like as I looked at it, I was like, well, well, and Joey, Joey from Scout Tool, Scout Leather was like he he was he comes and helps me at shows a lot of times. He's like, hey, we could do this, I can bring product, we can like do it, it'll be fun. And what I realized was if if I'm even thinking about that, it means that Blade Show Atlanta would be doable. Mm-hmm which for the past couple of years, like I have not been able to make that show work. And so it was kind of fun because it was not on my radar at all to actually do Atlanta. Looking at it now, I'm like, well, if I shift resources there, it means that I have the new fixed blade. I can get that done mm-hmm. by June. There you go. And it made it, I got kind of excited yeah. again. So there's a, I think yeah. there's a pretty solid chance that I'm going to actually do Atlanta. Heck yeah. this year Pretty which is fun per, yeah that's really fun because i have a little announcement our booth has been allocated to us for atlanta first time yeah. ever exhibiting in atlanta and it is in the big room which is Dude, exciting that's exciting so maybe we'll be booth buddies they politely put me right next to tactile oh uh, so that was cool that's very nice mm-hmm. dude nice nice back wall yeah lots of breathing room they reoriented though did it's, they? it's it's yeah so you remember how there was tables on the right hand side that went basically all the way back yep they moved a bunch of booths into the, so take the back like three columns of tables and get rid of them and put booths there so the booths wrap around Ooh. in an l shape around the tables now oh nice and i'm in the but i'm where the tables were in new okay. booth space in a booth space yeah dude i love it that is so my first blade show was probably 17 years ago. And I remember like that feeling of just it. Cause it really is something special. Mm-hmm. It is, it is the industry show. Yeah. It's right? a big dance. It's the big dance. Mm-hmm. And I've described it over the last few years when I go and Here, don't have a table. Hold for one second. Yep. Let me see if I can pause this. All right. Back to recording. Little little production question. Yep. So, so I've described Blade Show as like if, if when I go back and I don't have a table, it feels like you're like re-entering the Coliseum. Yeah. Because you do it for so long and so many like relationships are built and like I know how the carpet smells and it's super mm. weird. I like hit the floor and I'm like, oh. There's muscle memory. It's so weird, man. I'm excited. Dude, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And re-up for Blade West, obviously. That's the Blade West is is officially like guaranteed from us every year. From I mean, I don't see that. That's like your home show almost. Yeah, it is. It's home turf. Um, whereas Atlanta, like I really think we'll be there for the long haul. We'll see how it goes, but uh it's a it's we're gonna have to hoof it to get out there, you know what I mean? Like with a real booth, you know. It's out there. It's a ways away. It's, it's real. Like All right. Well, the, you know away. what's cool now because you have bigger space, you're going to be able to like palletize yeah. your booth exactly and ship it ahead of time and like do it professional. Yep. That'd um, be awesome. Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do if I actually go because we don't have the space really to do that. And <laughs> like, I don't really want to go to IKEA and like build a booth. So I don't mm. know. I don't know what the solution. I'm always tempted after these like lulls in shows, I'm like, Hey, just go back to a table. But I actually mm. don't think that 
I don't think it works for us. Hmm. I think it would be a bad, I think it yeah. would be a bad fit. Yeah. Well, it's literally a tight fit. We create yeah. problems. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a booth, I don't know, Alicia, if you're listening to this, you're right. Give me a booth. There you go. Okay. <laughs> yeah. They, they emailed me. They're like, here's your booth space. We'd love to get you at Texas. I'm like, if I wasn't moving shops, I had it penciled in to go it's this in. year, Yeah. but I'm so glad I didn't commit because I, I, I had heard wind of this shop coming through the pipe and I was like, it's going to be pretty close to, and now yeah. I'm seeing it's like the exact month. <laughs> so I'm thank God we're not. Dude, sometimes, sometimes you just have to take a break from things that are good, still good opportunities. Mm. Like if like something like shows, especially I think if you take a break from them, it, it creates, it creates space that you just wouldn't have had. Otherwise we're finally getting back to a place where I can see being able to do maybe three shows a year. Mm -hmm. And the way that looks for me probably is like a big show, a very small show, and then like a midsize. So it might be something like uh, blade show, Pacific Northwest and then the California show mm -hmm. or, or like subbing out a blade West or, a you know, doing yeah. a blade Texas. And it's really, really exciting. Yeah. It just is not, it was a yes, but later. Cause like we just, yeah. life is, is busy. One thing that has my interest peaked is the direction we're headed with some of the new projects on the horizon. We may be positioned to go outside the knife industry as far as yeah. shows go. And I'm excited for that possibility. A little bit nervous because that is very sure. uncharted, but yeah. there's some where, like, where, like, what are you thinking? Like, uh, hunting expos, sure. you know, uh, bushcraft style, like, like overland expo, you know, like that kind of right. arena overland is... expo would be dude. I mean, this is, this, I think really is something that plays to longevity, which is like, find places you actually want to go and hang out. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to get you to do some of the like really small shows, like the custom shows, just because I think you'd really enjoy the flow mm -hmm. of it compared mm -hmm. to the big two, three day shows. It's different. Like, like I would like you to do the Pacific Northwest invitational mm -hmm. because I think you would have a really good time and like hang out on the beach and like, bring your family like that kind of stuff is fun it just creates some contrast in in like the show yeah. mix i yeah, think a little, little bit different yeah, yeah but overland cool. overland expo is like a great example where it's like you would want to go to that anyway mm -hmm. why not go and have a booth yeah right yeah yeah i look forward to that potential like i said we we need the new shop because honestly we need more help dude we're, yeah. we're <laughs> we need help You're... like because th like this week we I mean, I was, I ran the style all week this week and it was like, I had to let some emails slide. I had to, you know, go a little bit longer before responding than I normally would. I, you know, a lot of things, like I said, I was like all weekend I was working on the shop all week. I was trying to keep us on track for production and then all weekend this weekend back in the shop. And it's like, like I said, stuff like the LT five is only a, one of a list of things like that. And I'm yeah. like, this can't become a pattern. Right. And when I hired Dalton, it was one of those things where I was like, okay, it felt a little bit like this. And I was like, maybe too early, but I just know yeah. we're getting tapped out here. So luckily if we can get settled in the shop and stabilize and 
get some things sorted like a little bit of help here and there might be good maybe to even part-time i don't know but yeah um, that's i mean you're at a point now where you can bring you could bring in a part-time for just specific like yeah, exactly like, you're like okay you're coming in to do blasting yeah. or like whatever it is you know yeah. or sh- it's funny man shipping in our experience shipping is one of the harder things but we have a lot more variability in product yeah. than you do so the reason i'm thinking seeing that coming is the LT5, little spoiler alert, is going to be bigger batch sizes and right. larger sales in one shot. Okay. Um, and so, and more shipping in one shot. And they'll, it'll just be like, maybe I'm in the room, but I just, I need an, another set of hands, like folding boxes. Right. We another need to body. like tag team it. Yeah. Um, and my goal is to not have it disturb what Dalton is doing because he's, tied up like he's fully busy all week on production of what we already have and if i bring him in to help on that some other ball is getting dropped and then we have not grown we have just read we've just redirected which is not the goal of anything right like it's like why would you step over something that's successful to pick something else up like totally that's backwards so right yeah um so i'm trying to let dalton like be dalton and do all the awesome things he's doing Right. And then if I need more help, it's going to come from somewhere else. Do you like when, as you add people, will Dalton, do you think Dalton will get into a position where like, he's almost like training? Like, is he like a foreman? Yeah. Kind yeah, of. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to have to totally materialize over time, but it's like seniority is going to be a big deal. And he's yeah. going to have a very high level of knowledge about the production workshop. Right. Well, that's right? what happens, right? Because yeah. essentially he is your right hand mm-hmm. by default he probably will have the most knowledge of the broadest spectrum of tasks inside of the business because the next person that is added isn't going to have all of the responsibilities that he has. Yeah, no no future employee will have the big, that width of just overall view. Yeah, because I won't hire another one just to do, to also do everything. I'll right. hire someone to take something off his plate, but the things coming off of his plate, he'll already know how to do. And he'll be the right. only one that's done it all at right. once. Well, yeah. and like, arguably there's like, at this point you bring in another person, it's probably you teaching, but almost because you're protecting Dalton's time. Right. Mm-hmm. Or it's you and Dalton teaching, mm-hmm. but past that employee, it's, probably shifts away from you yeah exactly i'm envisioning it's like in a very small number it's like they can just be direct reports the team direct but then eventually it's like then you start to have to have you have to structure it somehow other than like you can't have a pyramid where everyone reports to the exact same person you know what i mean it's like it it, i wonder how it works in big companies like where you have like where founder has their prototype shop right yeah. But they're on they're on premise, right? Are they still does the team like still pull on them? Like are they almost like yeah. consulting sometimes? I'm like the least corporate knowledgeable person in the world, so I don't know. Yeah, the two of us really have very little yeah. little experience I've, with I've that no, side. I have only the anecdotes and hearing from other people about that. Oh, any of you guys know how this works, let us know. Yeah be very curious because i think i mean in a lot of these industries where there's a high level of passion i would i would guess that a lot of times the founders 
it's like you're still interested in the thing mm-hmm. right or or manufacturing or you know design you're just not doing it in the normal day-to-day production flow mm-hmm. i think that's probably pretty common yeah i just don't know at what point you're well, not depends on who the founder is because there's founders that are salesmen there's founders that are product guys specifically relating to to this right yeah yeah like like the the rick hinderers and the Mm -hmm. emersons and the chris reeves and the tj schwartz's moving forward like there's a process there that is you're interested you make the thing you grow the thing yeah you know like hinderer was hinderer was like one of the not, not, I mean, obviously not the first, like Emerson, Emerson predated Hinderer. Benchmade and Emerson were probably around the same time, um, but went slightly different directions, but like it occupied the production space in like a similar way for a while. Hinderer felt, I guess in my generation, like he's older than me, but he was like, I remember seeing people tip over his tables in like lotteries mm-hmm. because there was like a crowd swell where it was like he was of a time where like that custom to production thing was just huge, you Mm -hmm. know, and watching that, like, I remember when his company was three people yeah, and it is no longer three people. Like I remember when he bought his like facility and like, you know, and then it's 20 people like watching that process. Like I I do wonder like, what is his day to day now? Yeah. Maybe Uh we can get Rick on sometime. That'd be super fun. Yeah. No kidding. I love like, I don't know, like I love looking at the work that people do versus the work they used to do. And if you look up Rick's like old work, it's like ABS stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's like interesting. Board. Well, I mean, he was, a, knives. he was a farrier shoeing horses yeah. out there. Yep. So it's like iron, you know what iron. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And then a, yeah. Firefighter. Yeah. Like super interesting. Yeah. And like that, I mean, they've just, they've just like continued, you know? Like it's a, you watch it go from like cool, small batch production to like a large, like a fairly large company, but I would still make the arguments like still fairly like boutique. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's, it's hard to have a company in the knife industry that you would actually call large. Right. In in the grand scheme of things, it's kind of all boutique unless, I mean, unless you're talking like Swiss army or something like there's a few yeah, I was gonna that have say, like, like barely who... got into like the household name. Yeah. But, but I mean, even that being said, you know, like a company like Victorinox, which is Swiss army is still microscopic on like, if but you're talking real actual big... numbers. Yeah. yeah. Do you think they are the biggest? From I don't numbers... remember where I saw it or read it, but my understanding was about, they might've been talking to a guy at shot show to one of the Swiss army guys. I think they're the biggest knife company in the world, but don't based on, based on output. Right. And revenue. I think. And revenue. I mean, yeah. do you have to think about it? Like, okay. There are like, as a custom maker or like as a designer, you know, there are designs that have like transcended. Yeah. Right. So like Kit Carson, Ken Onion, like these are knives that you will see in someone's pocket walking around a store mm-hmm. or like at a restaurant. Yeah. Okay. Swiss Army. It's on another level. Is on a different level and yeah. for generations. Yeah. The and only internationally. Uh, international, international, and 
cross genre also because it's yeah. like you can go buy a victorinox kitchen knife mm-hmm. and that could be they they make industrial kitchen knives for like restaurants i mean it's so broad let me look something up real quick first time actually i've looked it up on live victorinox revenue i need to alter up. ego so we can like call out to him and have yeah, him right like look it up so victorinox revenue according to a website that i don't know or trust uh says <laughs> estimated revenue as much as 700 million a year some say like 400 and something million a year but so figure somewhere in the middle 100 million there's like a I mean, numbers in the four to 700 range it's not but, uh, you just like created a i'm gonna yeah. do a deep dive on it now and i can't like i already i just felt it yeah i can't avoid it they do sell things other they sell watches yep. they sell luggage yep the knives i don't know if is probably the biggest part of that. I don't know though, but regardless, that's eye popping for a knife company. Yeah. But if you could be a insurance company that no one's heard of doing way more than that, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's like, there's it's yeah, dude, we, we have not, we've talked about doing interviews. We have not done an interview. I just thought about two very specific stories. Doug, <laughs> if you're listening, Doug flag, Dude, we need to get you on here because like the knowledge around like very specific timelines is so broad and this ties into this so well, we just need to do it. So yep, Doug flag, will you hang out with us and talk, talk history? Mm-hmm. Right. Be fun. Yeah. Dude, there's, there's a lot that would be, I think coming like some coming from like the company side and like the history side, would be a really fun way to like satisfy both like some of your and my like curiosity. Yeah. And, like, yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. I think that's fun. Yeah. I got to say, we don't have a timestamp anymore. Yeah. We did pay for the free version. I think we're like way over an hour, but I actually don't know. I don't know. Um, but I guess it doesn't that's really great. matter, but this was Weird. a good one. Does that create more <laughs> freedom for us? Because we just go and we don't, we're yeah. not like limited by seeing minutes. Maybe. Maybe. Well, now that you mentioned, I'm done. So. <laughs> I killed the vibe. <laughs> I killed the vibe. Killed the vibe. Oh. Um. Okay. So you're really busy. I'm gonna pull on you. I need. I need help. Okay. I need help for next. Uh, next stage of fixturing. Okay. Um. If you want, we could record it. Let's talk about that soon. That could be a thing. That'd be cool. Um, okay. Uh, you want to wrap it up? Let's wrap it. Okay. I appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening. Yep. Thank you. Just talk over each other forever.